Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Hellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. There's something incredibly compelling about the way terrestrial trees and shrubs interact with the aquatic environment. This is a surprisingly dynamic, highly interdependent relationship, which has rarely been discussed in aquarium circles. So let's have that talk. Now, we've talked a lot about roots before. There are structures which are so important in so many ways to these ecosystems in both their terrestrial and aquatic phases. Not only do they help secure the soils from falling away, when submerged, they foster epiphytic algae, fungal growth, and biofilms, which supplement the foods of the resident fishes. And of course, they provide a physical habitat for fishes to forage, seek shelter, and reproduce among. In short, these roots create a unique microhabitat which harbors a diversity of life. And they look pretty aesthetically cool, too. So yeah, this makes them an irresistible subject for natural-looking and functioning aquascapes, and of course, relatively easy to execute. With a variety of interesting natural materials readily available to us as hobbyists, it's easier than ever before to recreate these habitats in as detailed a version as you'd care to do. And as usual with my ramblings, this blog has become yet another homage to roots and the other forest features and how they function in these transitional aquatic habitats. I just can't help myself. Now, one of the foundational root types, I don't think we've talked about this one before. One of the foundational root types that we can replicate in our aquarium work is what botanists call buttress roots. Not only are these interesting structures to replicate in our aquariums verbatim, they're an interesting component of the ecosystems which make up the flooded forests, particularly in areas like, you guessed it, Amazonia. Buttress roots are large, really wide roots that help keep shallow rooted forest trees from toppling over. They're commonly associated with nutrient poor soils, you know, like the kinds you see in the Agapo or Varsia ecosystems. These roots also serve to uptake nutrients, in, uh, that are limited nutrients that are available in these podzolic soils. The buttress roots of various species of forest trees are often weave in and out of each other horizontally and create this vast network which serves to keep many trees in the forest from toppling over. And since these habitats often flood during the rainy season, buttress roots can help stabilize the trees and retain soils during this inundation period of time. Isn't that interesting? Even the trees have made adaptations over eons which allow them to survive under these pretty harsh conditions. As you might suspect, the clearwater flooded forests, Varzea, tend to be richer in species diversity and density than the less nutrient-dense blackwater flooded Igapo forests. Seems like everything in these ecosystems is a function of nutrient availability, isn't it? And the sandy soil which comprises these habitats is low in nutrients like phosphorus, potassium, calcium, magnesium, stuff that plants need to grow. Ecologists will tell you that soil also has a high infection rate, or density, of fungi and consists of a lot of fine roots in the upper layer of the soil. Those help take in nutrients. The network of those real fine roots helps, you know, really work in this nutrient devoid substrate. And more interesting, studies have shown that decomposition of things that fall to the forest floor can take years in the deep leaf litter layer on the forest floor. 
I find that very interesting. So nutrients are retained as well. In addition to being nutrient poor, the sandy soil doesn't retain water very well though. And that could lead to drought after the inundation period's over. Again, it's yet another example of that intricate relationship between land and water and the way terrestrial and aquatic habitats work together. Because these flood pulses in these forests are pretty predictable, eons of this process has led to adaptations by various forest trees to withstand them, as well as to depend upon various species of fishes, known as frugivores, like big paku and other fishes that will help disperse seeds throughout the forest by consuming them when they fall off the trees during the flooding periods and pooping them out when they're swimming around. Ecologists have further determined that the distribution of various species of trees in these forests may be largely determined by the ability of seedlings to tolerate periods of submergence and the limited light that penetrates the forest canopy into the water column. Makes sense. In fact, in a remarkable adaptation to this environment, seedlings may be completely submerged for several months and many species can tolerate several weeks of complete submergence in a sort of state of rest. Most species in these forests tend to grow during the times of year when the forests are flooded and tend to bear fruit and flower when the waters start to recede. It's all about adaptations to this incredible, highly variable habitat. We talk about food webs in these habitats and how to replicate some of their attributes in our aquariums. Well, here's another insight into the food webs of these flooded forest habitats to consider from a paper I found by a researcher named Mauricio Camargo Zorro. And I'll just read this to you. Both algae and aquatic macrophytes enter in aquatic food webs, mostly in the form of detritus, finding coarse particulate organic matter. You've heard of that, right? We've talked about that. Or being transported by water flow and settling into substrates. Particular organic matter in the stream of rapids and waterfalls is mostly associated with biofilm and epilithic diatoms that grow on the rocks, submerged wood and herbaceous plants, and compose the main energy sources for macroinvertebrates and other trophic links. Now, this is a generic dis uh, description of you know, some of these food webs, but it talks about plants and algae and things that come into the ecosystem from outside it, that Alexonas stuff too. So it's very interesting to take this into consideration when you think about these in these environments which transition from uh, a terrestrial one to an aquatic one. There's a lot there, I know, but what it does is give us some ideas about facilitating in situ production of supplementary food sources in our aquariums. That's what inspired me not too long ago when I did a recent planted blackwater aquarium, which is something I don't do very often, that an interaction between the terrestrial elements and the aquatic ones and allowing terrestrial leaves to accumulate naturally among a, what I made was like a big tree root structure. Uh, and it fosters this really natural functioning environment. You know, as the leaves begin to soften and ultimately break down, they foster microbial growth, biofilms, and fungal growth, all of which provide supplemental foods for the resident fishes, and perhaps providing even some nutrition for the plants, just like what happens in nature. Now, facilitating these processes, allowing the materials to accumulate naturally and break down in situ is a key component of replicating and supporting these microhabitats in our aquariums. The typical aquarium hardscape, artistic and beautiful as it might be, generally replicates the most superficial aesthetic aspects of these habitats and tends to overlook their function and the reasons why these habitats form. So replicating forest structures like buttress roots and their functions really helps facilitate more natural biological processes, functions, and behaviors in our fishes. The possibilities are endless here. And as always, the aesthetics are a collateral benefit of the process. Of course, I think it's a call for us to employ some bigger, thicker pieces of wood in our tanks. Now, sure, I can hear some groans from some places. I mean, big, heavy wood has some disadvantages in the aquarium, right? First, the damn things are 
well, they're big. They take up a lot of physical space. And in our case, precious water volume. And the scale is a bit different. And of course, a big heavy piece of wood is kind of pricey when you buy it and physically cumbersome for some people to play with. However, the use of larger pieces of wood or several pieces of wood aggregated together to create a larger piece can create really interesting structures which can replicate the form and function of buttress roots in the aquarium. At the very least, try a fairly large piece of aquatic wood or several smaller pieces aggregated to form one larger piece sometime. I think you might find this sort of arrangement fascinating to play with, regardless of if you prep it in a splay or in a separate container or however you, you prepare your wood. Just arrange it in such a way that breaks up the tank space and gives the impression that it simply fell naturally or grew down naturally. Let it create barriers for fishes to swim into, disrupt water flow patterns, allow it to cultivate fungal growth and biofilms on its surfaces and small pockets where leaves, botanicals, substrate materials, and detritus can collect. It's exactly what happens in nature. It's fascinating and important for us to understand, at least on a superficial level, the concept of replicating some of the structures and features found in these transitional habitats like flooded forests. By understanding how these structures work, why they exist, and how they provide a benefit to the organisms which live among them, we'll be in an excellent position to incorporate exciting features like buttress roots into our future aquariums. Stay inspired, stay educated, stay bold, stay created, stay thoughtful, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman, Tenant Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tenant.